0: Great. Thanks so much for letting me come and share with you. It's been great to be with the other, with the other half of you and, <coughs> across town. And uh, yeah, we're going to have some pictures come up just to set the scene. So my agenda is not to uh, recruit you for Burundi. My agenda is not to ask for money. I always say that to start by talks because then you're disarmed to hopefully just receive the challenge. Okay, so I don't, I don't want you to come to Burundi. I don't want to, your money. You've got loads of good stuff going on. Um, uh, but this is the context, so I'm just sharing, you know, the first five minutes will be setting the scene, if you like, to what will be some challenging scriptures today. So that's where, <clears throat> that's where my home's been for the last 20 years, just finished. So I'm on that journey. As, I, as I'm preaching this message this morning, I'm preaching to myself, uh, 20 years of um, expecting to die, people trying to kill me, people I care about being killed, very extreme, uh, started out as a young man, single, and, and then married, asked my wife to marry me, said, are you ready to be a young widow? Uh, which is not your average proposal. But then she bought into that. And then three little children. It's got to look a bit differently, hasn't it? And trusting God and in extremes for that. Um, and and then we just finished. And now we're currently having a year of transition of preaching around the world. So just been in 21 countries in the last two months and off to Israel on Wednesday. So it, it, it's, it's crazy. And we will be settling down in Bath next year and trying to be normal there, vaguely. So that's, 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 that's my context. That's my home. I'm Burundian. I'm one of the few white Burundians. Uh, you know, got citizenship very please, you know, everyone else can <laughs> leave the country. But incarnation is identification, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not choosing the easy options. And so next one, live and work at a Bujumbura. So, the size of Wales, not a big place, speak a, a language called Kirundi, so that's how it would sound if I was preaching out there. Next one. And uh, it was the most dangerous country in the world when I went out in 1998-9, um, I know that because my mummy sent me through a newspaper cutting, charting the most dangerous countries in the world, I don't know if she's trying to encourage me, but uh, then sort of peace came uh, in 2005, so I experienced seven years of, you know, full-on war uh, and then peace came in 2005, and then 2015 it sort of went horribly wrong, and so, you know, since 2015 I've wept I've wept like more tears than, you know, ever as a child as a baby, and sometimes life is two steps forward and then three back or 3,000 back, and that's how it's been for us, um, so that's just being honest with you, you know, I have I, got lots of glory stories, but there's a lot of brokenness in the mix, and that's just the messiness of life, isn't it? And uh, so, yeah, so that guy will be dead now because any photo of anyone, you know, that was taken, they've just been tortured and killed, and it was a coup attempt that failed, and, and it's been really, really depressing, but the light shines brightest in the darkest places, amen? And so I've still got some great stories. Next one. Oh, yeah. So I haven't got that book, but uh, so, so we'll skip that one. Um, okay, so that's one at the back. So, so this morning, I'm actually going to preach on Choose Life. So it's, if you've got your Bibles, let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And, uh, and so that's the book. So that's a devotional. So that's at the back. There's 14 there uh, if you wanted to grab one. Um, it's a daily shot in the arm. So I'm going I'm to give you nine choices today. In, in, so it's nine-point sermon, which is a bit long, isn't it? But, but uh, I'll, I'll be as quick as I can. But that is 365. So you basically—it's a choice every day. We're we going to choose to live by faith or by fear. We're we going to choose urgency or apathy. We're we going to choose grumbling or gratitude. You know, all that sort of thing. And it's—I'd recommend you getting it because it's a daily shot in the arm for you know, for hope over despair and that sort of stuff. So you can grab those at the end. Next one. That's my family. So I told you I went out as a single young man. I went out because I prayed this prayer. So let's pray this prayer today. This is the prayer that took me to Brunei. God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. So that's not a complex prayer, is it? Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. He knows what's best for us. So why not pray that prayer? Surrender. And uh, so I was, you know, I went to England's most expensive school. I went to, I'm a sportsman, to Loughborough University, and then I went into a good job. So I was on that conveyor belt, if you like, to success and affluence. And, uh, uh, but that was my prayer. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I don't want security, I said. Because if we've if we got security, then we don't need God. Amen? Yeah. 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 That's a bit of a lame amen. Maybe because we do. Let's, let's be honest. We love security, don't we? And then we put our security in our pension or our house. And then there's nothing wrong with the pension in the house. But there is if that's where our security is. Because Jesus says, no, no, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all the rest gets thrown in. That will be added later. But first things first. And uh, so we need to call out uh, things out as idols if that's what they are. So that's my prayer. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I don't want security. Just want, want to be in your will. And cut a long story short. I was in the city in London, Bishopsgate. Never met this guy before. Received a scribbled piece of paper saying, "Ring this guy." Rang him up. We met up, and he starts saying, "Lord, uh, sorry," he said. He said um, "My name's Robert DeBerry, and I've been praying, and I believe God sent me to you, and He wants you to go to Burundi and be involved in youth and mission evangelism." So, so my heart's thumping in my chest, saying, "God, is this what You've kept me for?" I said to him, All right, thanks weirdo, I'll think about it, I'll be spiritual, I'll pray about it, I went back to my job, I'm in front of the computer, I said, God, right now in front of the computer, if you want me to go to Burundi, well that means leaving, family, friends, security, career, DOSH, everything, going to a place where I might get killed and people have tried to kill me, so give me a radical sign right now in front of the computer, a radical sign to justify a radical change of career, and the phone rang, and I picked up the phone, and the voice out of the blue on the other end said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi, and that was my call, now what do you do with that? You know, either I'm lying to you, but I don't think you think I'm lying because you don't die for a lie. You don't risk your loved ones for a lie, do you? And then, as either if it wasn't a lie, then it was a coincidence. If we don't have a theistic worldview, but hopefully we do, and therefore it's not a coincidence. It's a God incident. 2 Chronicles 16, verse nine. Love the scripture. You know, hidden away in this obscure book. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. And that's God's desire this morning. That would be his desire. And it doesn't just have to be Sarah and Mark. It could could be all of us here. The eyes of the Lord arranged. That's his desire. Longing to strengthen those whose hearts are, this is the deal, fully committed to him. Not bargaining with him. Not saying, I'll do it if you give me a husband. Or I'll do it if you take care of the kids. I'll do it if you show me exactly what's going to happen. Or I'll do it if you provide the finances. No, No, just trusting him. And we go on this incredible adventure, this costly adventure of faith. And that is what he's calling everyone here this morning so would you pray that prayer I'll do anything I'll go anywhere don't come to Burundi you know we've got our own calls to live out but uh, it's worth praying that so anyway look at my daughter I told this story so many times I love it she is named after the next girl so I held that girl in 1997 in my hands I heard her story that, that her mother gave birth to her and threw her down her toilet uh, and so she started her life in feces, down the toilet, and she, she didn't die because her neck got caught in the U-bend. And someone's about to go to the loo, and they re- saw her, and they re- pulled her out, got poo on themselves in the process as they cleaned her, fed her through a straw like a little bird, and uh, weighed just a few pounds. And next one, that's her. Beautiful girl. And I love it because uh, my, my friend who adopted her, uh, next one, actually, that's her. She ended up being our babysitter 18 years after that photo was taken. And as God wove the tapestry of our lives together. But, but my friend who rescued her gave her the most beautiful name. And I know there's at least one of them, because I was, even if I walked in late. And um, um, her name, and, and my, my, my wife, I said to her, if we're ever blessed with a daughter, I want to name her after that girl. So they're both little white ones named after the big black one. Their name's Grace. It's just a great name, isn't it? Because that is the gospel, isn't it? That it doesn't matter whether we're malting, murdering, rapists, pillaging idiots in Central Africa or very self-absorbed people here in Poole. We all need God's grace, don't we? And he reaches down to the pit of our lives. And religion is like trying to earn your way out of the pit yourself. But you can't. There's a a massive chasm. But Jesus, God with flesh on, he comes down and he reaches down. He picks us up and he cleans us off and he says, you're beautiful, my precious child. I love you. Made in my image. come on, Live. And that underpins anything I would ever say. And what I, lo- what I love about uh, this, this, her story, her ongoing story, is that she then ends up on a scholarship in America. We have to go to America to study at a prestigious university. And next one, she graduates with summa cum laude, distinction from a degree from the pit of a toilet to living it out. Isn't that beautiful? And that is the god of the impossible. Next one. Oh, did that go wrong? That was a picture of a my friends. Uh, there was a there was a picture. There was a blonde-haired girl who's four years old on the left-hand side. Maybe it won't come. Is it dead? And then the next girl in that picture, so who's half the size, is also four years old. It was just. Uh, I'm I'm sorry you didn't get to see that. Just because it is a, a visual of us being the hungriest country in the world, the highest rate of malnutrition. Look at that. Oopsie. Last one. So, you know, we've got 56% malnutrition in our country, the hungriest country in the world. So that girl on the left is four, the girl in the middle is four. And she's probably dead now, and that's sick and wrong, and that's just the reality of, of our context, and it's, it's desperate, yeah. So you do, you do weep. If you care, you cry, don't you? If you don't care, you can harden your heart and, and be detached. Next one. That's an incredible man that, who's taken on the work from me. He's way more capable than me, which is so wonderful to be able to hand on to someone who can stand on your shoulders see you further, do more. Together we've done uh, stuff over... I mean, he, he started his life... Um, so his mum gave birth four days before the 72 genocide. And so she's running, holding him, and he's, they, she thought she, he was dead. She had another baby, and they scorched her policy, and they're running with burning houses everywhere. And, uh, <coughs> and she was going to throw him in the bush because so he was slowing down the rest of the family. And the father said, no, let's wait till we know that he's dead, dead, dead because we'll never be able to forgive ourselves. And uh, he wasn't dead and he survived. And when he was told that story, he said, right, the Lord saved me for a reason. And he has been an, un- you know, he's my biggest encouragement on the planet. Amazing guy. And, uh, oh, it's so good. So, so good what he's, what he's involved in. It, uh, he, he... he um. He was used in a pastor's life. pastor had five kids. All of them were off the rails. He brought four of them back onto the rails in church leadership. So you're going to be grateful as a pastor, aren't you, for that? And so that that pastor of a small independent church fasted for 40 days to thank God and uh, to, to, to thank God and pray for a word for him, you know, what the Lord might want to say to him. And after 40 days, he didn't know who I was. But he said, um, the Lord's told me two things about you after my 40 days fasting. One is that you are to leave what you're about to do, what 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 you've been doing. And I had asked him to take over. And the other thing is, he's given you a twin to change the nation with called Simon. And he didn't know my name. Isn't that just beautiful? The Lord completely overstepped. So leaving with full confidence that uh, he's the right man for the job. Next one. Yeah, so this is what we've done every summer for the last 13 years and seen incredible stuff. And you know, some stories I sort of hesitate to share in terms of our worldviews being so different and you thinking, do you really believe this stuff? But you know, they go out there each summer. So last summer, we sent out 700. Imagine doing this in pools, 700 people times 14 days, times eight hours a day. That's a lot of community outreach, isn't it? And what we read about the Bible, what do you read in the Acts of the Apostles? He, Jesus sent his disciples out, and what happened? They got beaten up. They got put in prison. Yeah, they also cast out demons and heal the sick and, and had all sorts of stuff. So one lady was going, F off, you know, we're not interested in your Jesus. And he's like, all right, easy, tiger. And then, um, and then she said, no, all right, no, hang on, come back. I'll let you talk to my village. But first of all, show us the power, all right? And so they gather around, so but by, by, heal this demon-possessed girl. So they gather around this girl that the whole village knew was demon-possessed. They prayed over, the village came to watch. They prayed over in Jesus' name. All those demons were identified and cast out. And on the spot, that lady five minutes earlier was telling them where to go with 20 other people who fell to their knees and gave their lives to Jesus, because they saw the power. I mean, you've got lots of those stories. Maybe one more, and then we'll, we'll kick off. And that's the picture. You know, witch doctor, witchcraft is very powerful and very real out there, here as well, just obviously manifests uh, differently here. Uh, but the, you know, you don't mess with the witch doctor. If you do, pss, he'll curse you, and you're two-year-old, or die, or whatever. And, um, and so people live in fear of that guy. He controls people through fear. Well, our guys came along. And uh, he started doing his juju stuff. And, and, and then one of them spoke, Muizina in the name of Jesus. And he just fell down under the power of God, overcome, fell to the floor. Came to a few moments later, said, could you come back in a few days? Two days. They came back two days later. He'd assembled the whole village. And at the preaching of the gospel with, with him burning his charms, submitting to the higher power, uh, 50 people in that village gave their lives to Jesus, including him. And that, you know, that's just the... It's a different context, isn't it? But those are just a few of the stories. Now, we do that every year. And uh, I think some of the stories that Matt will be talking about will be, will be that. I would, wherever I go, not after your money, not after you coming out to Bruni, would love you to pray. So I've just put that sheet out. So on each side, th- those sheets are going to come back to you. If you want to put your email down, do. you just get about five emails from me a year. There'll be faith-building stories like that to encourage you. And I think I'm still alive because thousands of people around the world have been praying for us. So, so you don't have to pass it on if you don't want to, but if you do, great. Brilliant. That's context. <clears throat> Let's look at the scriptures. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. And I want you to picture yourselves, because this is Moses addressing the Israelites on behalf of God. So that's the context. And, you know, so picture yourselves as the Israelites. And sometimes I read Exodus or the Old Testament in general, I think, what a bunch of losers, those Israelites, you know. They... They, you know, they saw the power of God. They were delivered. You know, they rescued. They saw, you know, they had the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire protecting them. They had the ten plagues. They had the Passover lamb. They had incredible deliverance. They experienced manna and quail, parting of the sea. But so quickly they slipped back into complaining, moaning, grumbling, fear, distrust. And I'm like, what a bunch of losers. But then I think, no, that that's me. You know, I'm so fickle, and so it's so easy to get discouraged and think, oh. Uh. I can't do this, and God's not real, and that sort of stuff. And so this is for each one of us here this morning, and I'm going to give you nine choices. I mean, you'll see it says twice in verse 15, verse 19, choose life. Um, may may may, May we make good choices. And it goes like this. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you beyond your reach, it's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase in the land you are entering to, to possess. But... If your heart turns away and you are not obedient, you will certainly die. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. See, this day I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, hold fast to him, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Great scriptures. So, um, so I'm going, to, I'm going to spray you with nine, nine bullets. So, 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 and what I mean by that is that, um, you know, I've listened to a lot of gunfire over the years, and, and sometimes it's, it's this weird situation where you're trying to guess how many people are dying a mile away, and you know sometimes it's been a 20-minute gun battle, with you know shells and RPGs and stuff, and 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 sometimes I have honestly I've guessed hundred people are dying right now just a mile away or five miles away, depending. And, and, and in the morning, I receive a, t- a tweet, and the tweet is of a dead body. And it is the dead body, the dead body from that 20-minute gun battle. I'm like, how did that happen? How did so many bullets you know, not achieve their intended destructive purpose? Because that's what it is. Only one bullet of all those thousands hit the mark. Now, redeeming that analogy somewhat, I'm gonna spray you nine bullets. Uh, and I'm not hoping or praying that every bullet will strike you, because if, if it does, it'll be too much for you. It'll just it's too overwhelming. My prayer for you is that one or the most two bullets are going to hit you and, and really lodge deep within you, and it and might be painful to receive, but it will be life-giving. Okay, so that's what I'm shooting for. So, Israelites, right, here we go. So, the first choice is, are you going to choose clarity or trust? Are you going to choose clarity or trust? Now, most of us, we're control freaks. We want to know exactly how our life's going to pan out. We want to have all our ducks in a row, and, and, and we, you know, we're, we're fearful when we're out of control, and things aren't going exactly how we know they're going to go, and, and that is choosing clarity, and God is saying, no, I want you to trust me, and that's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard because it's uncomfortable. When God called Abram in Genesis chapter 12, he said, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land, I will show you. But he didn't show him until he went. It's as we go that he will show. And he stepped out of his comfort zone. And uh, this is difficult. It says in, in verse 11, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, but that would imply it was quite difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply it's still quite a stretch. This is going against the grain of how we're naturally wired. But, but we, we need to if we're going to experience life at full. I think many of us have a faith, and it's a genuine faith, but we're not living by faith. And there's a massive difference. It was Hudson Taylor, a great missionary statesman to China, who said, unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. Unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. If we're not taking any, faith, any risk on any level then we're not living by faith. We've got a faith, but we're not living by faith. So this is challenging, but hopefully, well, listen to this. This is the ethicist, John Kavanagh. He went to Mother Teresa's house of the dying because maybe it was a midlife crisis, but he wanted to seek clarity for the next chapter of his life. And this is in Calcutta. And as was often the case with newbies, Mother Teresa came alongside him and said, yeah, is anything on day one? Is there anything I can pray for you. And he's he like, yeah, bring it on. This is what I've come thousands of miles for the great mother Teresa to prophesy, you know, into the future of my life. I said, yeah, 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 you can pray that God gives me clarity for the next chapter of my life. And her indignant response shocked him. She said, no, 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 no way. I will not pray for clarity for you. Clarity is the last thing you are holding on to and you need to let go of and he was like what i mean you the great mother teresa you look like you've got loads of clarity in your in your life she said i have never had clarity in my life what i have had is trust and so i'll pray for you that you trust him <laughs> straight away that's a whole bunch of us isn't it next one obedience or disobedience so verse 16 to 18 it, you know in a nutshell it says you know if you walk in obedience it will go well if you walk in disobedience it's going to go badly well that's just logical isn't it I mean, the premise has to be that we believe that God is a good God, that he's a loving God, that he's our Father, that he wants to bless us and uh, journey with us. And, um, and so if we disobey someone who's got our best interests at heart, well, things are going to go badly. And we walk in obedience, things are going to go much better. What does obedience look like for you? What does it look like for me? Because I know there have been times when I've, when I've disobeyed, consciously disobeyed, and it's uh, and It's been costly. And it's been costly for other people as well as for myself. It was the theologian Tozer, he said this, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find out the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. The next time it will move you less and the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. And I don't know if, if, if you can relate to that. I mean, I can picture few times in my life where I've just said, no, God, I'm not going to do that, and I've hardened my heart, and eventually I've just been taken out, you know, a relationship with a girl at university, just taken out, saying, God, no, you're not going to touch that area. What does obedience look like for us? Because there's a direct correlation in the Scriptures between love and obedience. If you love me, you will, uh, you will obey my commands. John 14, three times Jesus says it. He says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. 1 John 5, through, this is love to obey his commands. Jesus, Philippians 2, He learned obedience to death, even death on the cross. So he's saying, will you obey? Or do we just define our relationship in a very sort of postmodern sort of pick and choose way of, you know, uh, anything goes and, you know, anything that doesn't cramp my style, that is how I will engage in my discipleship with you, which actually means that we're not following Jesus. We're expecting him to follow us on our terms and at our convenience. And he's saying, no, obey me. What does obedience look like for you? Apply it to yourselves. Is it finances? Is it that I'm just genuinely tight with my finances and not sharing things with, with people that are more needy than me? Is it a relationship that's, that's toxic, that needs addressing, that needs cutting off? Is it forgiveness that needs to be offered or received? Is it a reprioritizing of how I'm using my time, my resources, how can I be part of this effort here and pool to be part of team or am I just freeloading? You know, what, what does obedience look like for you? Next one, Cynicism or action. Notice I didn't say cynicism or optimism because the antidote to cynicism isn't optimism. It's action that's rooted and born out of hope. And the, um, the Israelites were a cynical bunch, weren't they? Constantly seeing the negative and, 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 and believing the worst. And, and, and yet, you know, English people that most of us are here, wow, we're a cynical bunch, aren't we? And that cynicism completely infuses the, the church as well. And we need to be people who act, who reject cynicism, and, you know, I'm preaching this to myself, Burundi has been plenty of things, you know, plenty of instances to, to make me very cynical, but no, you know, I'm not saying this is all of us here, but cynics often sort of middle-class people, and, and things don't need to change for middle-class people to stay all right, do you know what I mean, because they can still look after themselves, but the only, maybe the only two groups of people that view the world realistically are the cynics and the saints, Maybe everyone else is living in some delusional middle ground in denial of how things really are. But the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. And there is hope. There is hope. There's always hope. But sometimes you have to cling to it, don't you? Through really tough, tough. Please choose action rather than cynicism. Next one urgency or apathy. Urgency or apathy. And we Israelites, you know, we, we, we had bouts of ap- urgency, didn't we, when Pharaoh's hit charity, as crap treats, were up our backsides. But in general, the, the default was very quickly slipping back to languid apathy. And I think so, so many of us, we just go through the motions of life, and we are reactive rather than proactive, and we, we allow life to dictate how it, how it goes. And we, we, we lose that passionate sense of urgency that the stakes are actually very high. I was once preaching on the Congolese border, on the parable of the 25, of the. It's Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. You Remember that story? Those ten girls, they all had an important role to play. They'd all been invited. They'd all been chosen. Uh, but the wedding party was late in coming, and they fell asleep. That wasn't the crime. The, 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 what, what five of them got wrong was that they, they weren't ready. They didn't have enough oil, so they trimmed their lamps and Five, they didn't have enough, they had to rush off and buy some more. Meantime, the park wedding party started. <laughs> Door shut, celebration, because that's the picture of the kingdom. And then the five late girls arrived, hey, hey, can you let us in? And they heard this horrific pronouncement. I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Horrific words. Now, you know, some of Jesus' teachings are very nuanced and, and hard to understand. Some are really not rocket science. This is one of its clearest parables, and I had three points. Jesus is coming, nobody knows when. Are you ready? That's essentially what it's teaching. Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? Well, that was on the Sunday. And a whole bunch of people said, yeah, I want to get ready. And they responded. But I'm guessing a whole bunch of people also said, no, no, no. I don't want Jesus to cramp my style. No, no, no. I'm going to live my life my own way. Maybe I'll turn to him in a crisis when I'm sick or something. I need something. But I'm going to live my life my own way anyway I left two days later I was on my motorbike I was heading towards that village and I got stopped by, this, by the military at a roadblock said, so you cannot go any further because there's been a, a rebel incursion from Congo and, and that village is being shot up and those people are dying and it sort of struck me as never before the urgency of our message because on the Sunday who could have believed sat here like this right now who could have believed it? on Tuesday in a sense Jesus was coming it was game over and we don't, not, the only sure statistic is that one in one people die don't they it's going to happen to all of us. But are we living ready? Are we living with a sense of urgency because the stakes are high? Because if people choose to go, I'm not interested to, in, in, in Jesus and, and what he's offering, then then he's, he, he respects that into eternity, which is heavy, isn't it? And that's the offer. And he's saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I've given you rest. I love you. I, I won't relationship with you. But you, you can choose to reject that. Now, that's going to infuse me with a sense of urgency. And I wonder if you self-diagnose this morning, you know, some passionate urgency, seizing, creating, making opportunities to be useful to God and sharing verbally as well as practically uh, in Jesus' name or just total languid apathy at this end. You know, I, th- I suspect most of us would self-diagnose a bit more towards that end. Well, may this morning <coughs> move you along because the stakes are very high. Now, it was easy for me to live with a a sense of urgency because particularly 1999 to 2003, I lived expecting to die next week. I would say, I'm I'm off this week to breach on these roads. I drive along the road, 40 people died on that road and we got through. You know, that's, you cannot fake it. You know, it's like, you have gotta be ready. You have gotta be ready. And you know, I'd leave with my two younger sisters, I'd leave letters under their pillows before leaving each summer saying, don't worry if I die, it's worth it. You know, it was very real thinking that we're gonna die. But that was brilliant because when you think you're going to die next week, you're going to have said sorry to anyone you've offended. You're going to have told all the people you love that you love them. You're you're going to keep short accounts. You're you're going to get more excited about people than stuff because stuff you're not going to take with you. Anything which isn't eternal is eternally out of date. That's what C.S. Lewis said. It's true, isn't it? So it just helps you prioritize. Now, I've lived in that war zone. You haven't in pool, thankfully. You're not listening to Bombs Fall. Now, I've only been in pool three hours. But I can see bombs falling all over this place. Pew, pew. Apathy. Pew, pew. Comfort. Pew, pew. Materialism. Pew. Do you see what I mean? And unless we recognize it for what it is, this culture, this bankrupt culture that we're living in, there are different bombs, but you know, we cannot just easily get taken out. We need to live with a sense of urgency. Will you choose urgency this morning over apathy? Next one. Faith or fear. Faith or fear—that's a massive one, isn't it? I think most of us, actually, if we're honest, we peel back the layers on our decision-making. We take a decision out of out of fear, usually the big decisions, not what you had, you know, on your toast this morning. Significant decisions—it's like, you know, that's why we put our security in our in our pension, our house, whatever, you know, because that's what we're trusting. And God is saying, you know, those, those things are fine, but trust me—I've got big hands. So let me be vulnerable with you. The, the, you know, the sort of, the fear and faith thing, how that, how that plays out with me is my kids. And if you're a parent here, you totally get that, you know, because, you know. I took my kids consciously into a war zone. My kids are listening to gunfire go off. 2015 particularly, you know, roadblocks at the end of our street. Lizzie, you know, went on a play date and came to a roadblock and... A man came and helped her remove the stones, and then another man came and smashed his face back in and put them back, and, you know, she had to make that choice. Is he going to beat me up in daylight? Oh, I don't think he will, so she carried it, pretended to be she-woman, to try to sort of diffuse it, and, you know, I got plenty of those stories. You know, it was, it was heavy, but, you know, the natural inclination is to choose to live by fear, and I was like, no, you know, we are going to model faith. It might be costly, but, you know, Jesus was the incarnation. He came down. He didn't flee. He engaged. And, uh, you know, a beautiful part of that story for us was that, you know, I was like, we, we cannot leave. If we leave, everyone's going to leave in terms of white people, foreigners, because we're like leaders out there. And so we've we got to choose faith over, over fear. And um, in, in the end, my five-year-old son, he swallowed some popcorn into his lung so he's, he's been like that and, and you know we went to the only American doctor left in the country and he said you need to get out on the next flight and so God in his mercy took the decision out of our hands you know they all left I was able to stay thousands of people praying again thank you if you've signed up for any prayers you're going to send our way and anyway he had to finish his antibiotic treatment and then the day before his operation in England this is like 11 days later the day before his operation <laughs> he coughed and out came this colonel and the doctor said, you know, he needed bronchoscopy. That was a miracle. That was, the doctor said, that can't, that can't happen. It's like God's grace. But, you know, it's living by faith and not fear. And are you living by fear? Are you shackled by fear? What, what do people think of me? What are the neighbors going to say? What, you know, do you know we sh- so, so many of us were shackled by the tyranny of public opinion. or We're, we're fearful about the future. We've got financial fears. You know, change the fear to concern. Concern is legitimate. They can be burdens, but let's choose, you know, 365 times. Beautifully done in the Bible. God ordained, surely, you know, just one for every day of the year. There's a do not be afraid. Fear not. We don't need to be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. Trust him. He's got big hands. And the Israelites were a fearful bunch, weren't they? But so are we. But you can choose this morning to live by faith. It's so much better to live by faith. Next one, last few, gratitude or grumbling, gratitude or grumbling. Now, again, the the Israelites, what a grumbling, ungrateful bunch of people they were. You know, they had extraordinary provision and deliverance, and and, uh, I mean, I would love to have tasted manna and quail, but within days, you know, they're like moaning about that as well. They just complained, and yet, you know, we Brits, what's our national pastime? It's moaning, isn't it? We're so good at complaining. We're amongst the most blessed people on the planet, but we still complain, could you choose gratitude as, as a, just a lifestyle? You know, I think that's um, what I seek to live out. I had this guy years ago trying to kill me. He came to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He'd written me a letter saying he was gonna cut out my eyes. Now that wasn't a fun experience, but it was one of the be- best experiences in my life. And I'll tell you why. Because I think for the first time consciously, I thanked God that I could see because I thought he was going to cut out those eyes, I said, thank you, what an unbelievable gift it is to see you. And ask a blind person whether sight is a gift or a right. It's a gift, isn't it? And yet we live in entitlement cultures where it's all about our rights, which is why we get grumpy and complain when we don't get our divine right to happiness, fulfillment, purpose, whatever it is. But if you choose to see everything as a gift in life, you're going to live a lot more. Happily, joyfully, gratefully. And that's infectious and it's beautiful. We all know people who just come into the room, they just suck the energy out of the room because they're so negative. Well, maybe that's you this morning, but well, please, you can choose to be different. Often I'd uh, preach on um, Romans chapter 12, where it says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers, urge, because it's urgent, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, get on the altar. Now, in the Greek there, therefore, in view of God's mercy, the mercy where it's plural, it's mercies. Now, this is a life skill for all of us. that could completely change your life. Some of us need it more than others. But in view of God's mercy, what I do when I'm tempted to be self-pitying and complaining with my lot in life, which happens, is I go through the mercies of God in my life. I can see. And I've got a body that mostly works. And uh, I can read and write. As I think of a 15-year-old girl in one of my youth camps, she, she stood up, confessed to sleeping with a bloke to get three quid for her school fees. And that's sick and wrong, isn't it? But, you know, I don't judge her. I think all of you girls would have done that. Why? Because otherwise you'd still be illiterate in first grade. There's, there's no room to judge, is there? And we've all got loads of food. And, you know, at the worst, there's always some, some, someone. Salvation Army will bail us out, won't they? Some, some, someone. There's systems in place here. Whereas I think of, my, I think of a boy down the road who's found on a rubbish dump. Who had been eating mud for a year and they had to cut the stones out of his gums. And we've all got access to healthcare here. And I I think of my pastor's 18-year-old brother. He died in his arms because he didn't have three quid again. Three quid for the medicine across the counter. That's sick and wrong, isn't it? I've had that disease umpteen times. I've got three quid, so I'm still alive. And we've got the National Health Service. And we moan about it. What an unbelievable gift. Next time you're moaning about the National Health Service, I want you to picture me standing next to you and smacking you in the face. Let's, let's, be, let's be grateful <laughs> choose gratitude and there's so many you know, clothes, I, I think of a girl down the road at an office she arrived at that orphanage, she'd never taken the clothes off her back freedom of expression, freedom of religion you know, I mean what's going on in China right now the persecution, uh, you know it's, it's ramping up and, and about 250 million Christians around the world under oppressive regimes they haven't got the freedom that we've got here let's use that and so go through the grace gifts of God in your life, and then that will choose gratitude. Completely change your life. I'm still alive today. This is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. in it. One incredible gift. We're not going to bed. We're not going to sleep tonight in the swamp, to choosing the swamp because you're fearing being raped during the night. I mean, you know, there's just so many things you could just think about that we take for granted as rights. They're gifts. And grateful people, joyful people, happy people. Last few. The way of comfort or the way of the cross. Now, I'm naturally—we're all naturally wired for comfort—but Jesus is challenging, challenging that comfort, isn't it? I mean, he's the giver of all good things, but he says, you know, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up a cross daily, and follow me. And uh, it's not comfortable following him because he—he he takes us out of our comfort zones, like he took Abram, leave the safetyness, the comfort there, and go to the land I will show you. So we enjoy his good gifts, but he says it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be straightforward. And again, I think of my church in in Burundi in, you know, 2015 when it kicked off, there were 120 of us that would be there. I was preaching that Sunday and I had to go, um, but, you know, started hearing shelling and stuff. And so I went, about 30 people made it. And uh, first tweets, the dead bodies coming through, that sort of stuff. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, you know, we're we're weeping, we're crying. This is really heavy. And, uh, you know, Ephraim's daughter's wetting herself every time she hears gunfire. That's a manifestation of her trauma. So she's wetting herself, wetting her knickers 10, ten times a day. And, and Anatole, he's, you know, he's got six children to feed, and he's got no job now. The economy's… Is... And I just, I'm looking at the grieving body of Christ that we are. And, and you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want that. But the, the intimacy with God in suffering was amazing. So I don't wish that on any of you, but a lot of you, your story would be that it was in the brokenness that he was extremely close. I find that, you know, as I get the chance to speak all over the place, you know, in the Western world, my most intimate experiences of God have invariably, invariably been with the most broken people. You know, be they tramps, alcoholics, prisoners, that's something, because they, they know they've screwed up. And, and so they haven't got this fat veneer, this mask on saying, I'm fine. And, and yet most people in general... We try to disguise, you know, and hide the cracks. And actually, maybe the light shines through the cracks, doesn't it? And, and, and where are most of the lies told in the week? It's the church on Sunday, isn't it? How are you doing? I'm fine. You know, we, we're good at faking it, aren't we? And he's saying, you can be real. And that is where the, I wrote a blog once on the curse of comfort. Because, because it, can, it can just take us out. Comfort can just take you out, can't it? And, he's, and if you're going through a hell of a time this morning, be comforted. Because God is extremely close. He's there to comfort the brokenhearted, to journey with those who bruise, crush, read. You know, he's close. And some of us, that's all you need to hear this morning. So God's still there with you. And then the last two probably underpin all the others in terms of bullets. So the last two is, um, is rules or relationship. The, if you look at verse 16 to 18, again, it seems very transactional. Do this, and it'll go, well, don't do this. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people across the, the realm of Christendom and religion in general, I mean, be the same with Muslims and, and most, most belief systems. Uh, it would be about doing good things. It would be about rules that make you acceptable to God the, on the last day, or in the balanced terms, you know, good, good will outweigh the bad. And, you know, let's say of the two billion people on the planet that say they're Christians, Let's say a billion are on church today on Sunday. They're in church now. Maybe several hundred million of those would articulate their their faith as this: "I'm come to church to pay my respect, worship to God. Therefore, He'll accept me." So it's a box-sticking exercise. That's not the reason to come to church. And then a whole another few hundred million might be able to articulate something that sounds a bit more plausible and and theological. And they would say that no, the Old Testament was about. law, and the New Testament's about grace. The Old Testament was rules. The New Testament is relationship. Well, that's wrong. That's, sorry, that's also wrong. It was always about relationship. It was always about relationship. So if you look down at, well, chapter 9, just a few chapters earlier, God says to the Israelites, don't think I've chosen you because you're any better than anyone else. I just want relationship. And that's what God wants. He wants relationship. He loves us. And yet, sometimes we opt for, for rules and legalism. And he's saying, no, I, I love you, I want a relationship. If, if, you, if you're in love with someone, you're gonna do anything for them. Because it's worth it. There's a lady in Burundi and she had a, a horrible husband and he would beat her up every day of their marriage because what he would do is that before he went off to the office each day, he'd write her a long list of household chores that, to, to, to achieve before his return. And so he would come back each evening, and however hard she'd worked, he'd start box ticking, and uh, he hadn't done that. And, and she never was able to do everything on that list, and so he beat her up every night of their marriage. That's, I think we could say, praise God, he died. And she was released from that really dysfunctional, you know, marriage. And, uh, and by God's grace and mercy, a few months later, she actually met a really loving man who never laid a finger on her inappropriately, and he just nurtured her and encouraged her and helped her to flourish. And, and, and she was very happy they got married. And, and um, a few months into their marriage, she's like, today I'm going to go for a massive spring cleaning. I'm going to blitz the house. And she started from dawn till dusk, And, and, and he was out working in, in the office. And, and, and towards the end of the day, <coughs> she actually found a scrumpled piece of paper behind the sofa. And she pulled it out. And, and do you know what it was? It was one of those old lists from the the deceased horrible man. And she started reading it and she started ticking things off and you know what, can you guess? She'd done everything on the list. What she had never been able to do, shackled by fear of impending punishment and judgment and condemnation, she'd now done in the freedom of an of a empowering, loving relationship. And in that picture, some of us were stuck with the old husband. And that's not what God is like. No, he loves you. He longs for relationship. There's a lovely story at the end of the book, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. It's about a guy called Steve Brown, and he's got his daughter, Robin, and, and, and you know, 17 years old, and it's in the American system, and she's got this English lit class that she's completely consuming her. She doesn't think she can do it. And he's, he's a dad, and, like, my daughter's not sleeping and eating right. and So anyway, he took her in to see the Jewish professor lady who was, who was running the course, and and uh, she, when they came in, she could see that Robin was on the edge of tears, so she dismissed the class and said, what's up? Ma'am, I'm here to get my daughter out of this class, please. Can she do some other, you know, some other module to satisfy the course requirements? And, and she, she said, look, can I just talk to Robin first? Robin, do you think you could do this course if, uh, if I gave you an A before you even started? Would you, would you, would you then do the course? yeah, maybe. Okay, Robin, off you go. I have given you an A. Before you even started, I'm giving you an A. Off she walked. And then the lady turned to Steve and said, I've just taken away the fear. She is going to be fine. I know her. She's going to be fine. And the lovely ending to that story is that Robin went on and got straight A's on her own merit on that course. Now, guys, that is how God... Treats the follower of Christ. Because of Christ's finished work, we already have an A. The threat of failure, judgment, and condemnation, they're removed forever. We're in. Nothing you do will make your grade better. Nothing you will do will make your grade any worse. By his life, through his death, his resurrection, Christ, our substitute, has secured for us the everything, the A that we come into this world longing for, yet we're incapable of securing for ourselves. All the pardon, the approval, the purpose, the, the freedom, the longing, everything that is already ours in Christ. The operative power that makes you as a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you as a Christian, which is the beautiful grace of God and the completed work of Christ. So the banner under which Christians live reads, It is finished. Relax and rejoice. You're free. And that enables you. Last one is life. Choose life. Verse 19, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I set before you. Life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life. There was a a fire in this village in the jungle and uh, the house burnt down and screams of the family caught inside. They, They all died apart from at the last minute, someone managed to reach through the window and pluck out the baby boy. And the next morning, the whole village gathered around the sort of smoldering embers of that destroyed house. And uh, they, they started having a, an argument because, you know, according to their worldview, there must be something special about this child because the spirits, the ancestors, enabled him to survive. And so the witch doctor said, let me have this boy because there's loads of spiritual powers that I can nurture and develop. And the chief said, no, 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 I'm the chief of the village, so I'm going to have him. And the richest man in the village says, no, 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 let me have him. I can pay for the best education for him. And the neighbor said, no, 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 his father had an unpaid debt towards me, and I will take the baby in lieu of that debt. And then a a nobody, an anybody, a guy stepped forward and quite authoritatively said, no, the boy is mine. And they're like, what's your claim? And he just opened his hands. And those hands were blistered and burned and charred. And he said, The boy's mine because I saved him. And and Jesus' hands, they're not blistered, burnt, charred, but what are they? They were pierced. And this morning, I think he would say that to you. He said, You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. Why? Because I saved you. And what did I choose? I chose death so that you could choose life. I became, because it said, is the man that hangs on the tree. I became a curse so that you could be blessed. And so, what are we going to choose? What are we going to choose? don't take all those nine it's too much isn't it but what, what are the one or maybe two for you so the two questions I'd leave you with is what bullet was for me this morning and, and what am I going to do about it because if, if it's just noise, words please talk to each other afterwards, discuss things back home be accountable on that because then we're going to grow But some of us, you know, very very wounded this morning, you just need the comfort. Take that comfort. I think most of us need a mixture of comfort and challenge. What are you going to choose? What was for you? What was for you? What are you going to do about it? Do you understand? We'll pray together. And uh, you don't have to do this, but... uh, it was St. Augustine, all those years ago, he said, God gives where he finds empty hands. And so I want to receive from God, and so I'm gonna open my hands out to him. So I invite you to, you don't have to, but I invite you to open your hands. And as I look at the palms of my hands, they're empty right now, but I think often we struggle to receive from God because our hands are metaphorically stuffed full. And maybe we need to simplify, we need to get rid of stuff, some stuff just... But Lord, I look at my hands right now, it's a position of surrender, of openness, of vulnerability, of submission, God. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. What did you want us to hear this morning? What's my bullet? Lord, I don't want to uh, get to the end of my life and be sat there in a recliner with a shriveled soul and loads of stuff and think, I just missed it. I played it safe. Lord, I don't want to insist on having it all together and all my ducks in a row and having clarity, this morning I choose trust. Lord, forgive my disobedience. This morning I choose obedience. Lord, forgive my cynicism. I choose to act. Father, move me along the continuum from apathy to urgency. Lord, I don't want to live shackled by fear. I'm going to choose faith. Father, I'm sorry for the grumbling and the ingratitude, and i want to choose to be grateful. Lord, I'm inclined to want comfort, but I'm going to embrace, at whatever cost, the way of the cross. And thank you, Lord, that I've already, we've already got an A. That it's all about relationship, Lord. Enough about the rules. We choose a relationship. And therefore, in the context of relationship this morning, we choose life. Have your way in our lives, we pray.